Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Well, I want to speak to you this morning to conclude our series that we've been in. How many of you have enjoyed our Made New series? Aren't you glad that you're made in Christ? You're made new in Him. Amen? That's just a beautiful thing, isn't it? So we've been speaking out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll have you turn there this morning, because that is our main text that we've been using. You'll see it up on the screen there, actually. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it's such a powerful scripture, one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible, much like the New Testament. And it reads in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18 goes on to say, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. If you know that the moment you got saved, you also got called and deputized into the ministry of reconciliation. The moment you got saved, things were deposited and planted in you so that you could immediately turn around and begin to cause that process that just happened to you happen in other people's lives around you right away. Isn't that interesting? You know, the, the, the apostles didn't have to go to class to learn how to evangelize. Right? The apostles didn't have to go to special school to learn how to get people saved. They took what Jesus did for them, they received the Holy Spirit, and they turned around and began to flip the world upside down, right? They were, when you and I got saved, we're immediately called into this thing called the ministry of reconciliation. What God did in you, he wants to do for your neighbor. He wants to do for your coworker. He wants to do for your cousin. He wants to do for that lady across the street that you can't stand. He wants to do for everybody around you. So we've been given this beautiful ministry called the Ministry of Reconciliation. I just want to mention that because it's not something that we spent a lot of time talking about in this series, but it is something that is so important. You and I have a responsibility to see people, to to see hell empty and heaven full. Amen? Y'all remember the great evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke? He just went to go home with Jesus this past year. He just passed away. Won millions, untold millions of people to Christ in, in the continent of Africa. And that was his saying all the time. He was a German man. And, and, he, and he, he would say, I see hell empty and heaven full. Hell empty and heaven full. What if we got that as a vision for our life, that we see hell empty and heaven full? Glory to God. Doesn't take take much. All it takes is you sharing what Jesus did in you and sharing that with somebody else. Can you say amen? You've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Glory to God. Well, I want to wind down our series this week and uh, kind of prop us up for Easter next week. Last week, you'll remember that we talked about being free from condemnation. How many of you enjoyed that? How many of you have lived free from condemnation this week? Glory to God. We read from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I'll just read for you the J.B. Phillips New Testament version of that verse. It says, no condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Jesus Christ. You remember that we said that the one who's trying to condemn you, that's the devil, the one who's trying to condemn you doesn't have a right to. And the only one who actually has a right to condemn you chose not to do it. Amen. So thankful that when Jesus hung on the cross, the words that came out of his mouth were not, God, strike them down with lightning bolts. The words that came out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's some kind of compassion. I'm telling you, that's some kind of love. I don't know about you, but I get irritated when my package doesn't arrive on time from Amazon. 
This was supposed to be here in two days, and it's day three, and I still haven't gotten it. And here's Jesus actually getting murdered, actually getting killed by people, and his response is forgiveness. That's compassion, y'all. That's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. He chose not to condemn you before you had a chance to sin. Amen? Now, today we want to conclude our series by turning our attention to the new covenant. The title of the message last week was From Condemnation to Covenant. We left this world of condemnation. We entered this world called covenant. So I want to talk to you today about the new covenant. As we've discussed, the Bible calls us, we just read it in 2 Corinthians, the Bible calls us new creations. As new creations, we are part of the new covenant. Now, the idea of covenant is a complex subject. And I want to do my best judiciously here in the next 30 minutes or so to to break down and help us to understand what a covenant is and why the new covenant is so special, so significant, so important. Okay? So I'm going to do my best. I'm just going to ask for y'all to lean in with me and let's get everything that God has for us, okay? Now before I dive into the details of covenant and what is a covenant and all of this, I want to make this statement regarding how vital the new covenant actually is. I want you to hear this. Everything that we have access to in Christ is because of the new covenant that we're talking about today. We use this word, these words, new covenant. We kind of throw it around all the time. Well, praise God. How are you, brother? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm living in the new covenant. What does that mean? We use the word new covenant very comfortably, and if we're not careful, we'll forget how significant the new covenant actually is. It's the greatest thing in the universe. It's what the gospel is all about. It's the new covenant. Every benefit that we enjoy in our salvation is due to this new covenant that God created with humanity. Every blessing that you have, every ounce of peace, every bit of joy, every favor, every love, everything that you experience. When you pray for healing, the only reason you can even pray for healing is because there's a new covenant that makes it available. Right? The only reason you can ask the Lord for soundness of mind and peace of mind is because there's a new covenant that makes peace of mind available. Amen. This is significant stuff. It's the centrality, it's the central theme of the New Testament that God in Christ Jesus forged this amazing thing called the new covenant and we get to experience it by faith, amen? Now I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter eight. Glory to God. Last week we were in Romans chapter eight, this week we're in Hebrews chapter eight. The writer of Hebrews wrote some amazing things. Of course, we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. It makes sense that it would be Paul, but the book doesn't actually describe who wrote it. But I remember teaching a series a couple years ago on the book of Hebrews, and the the name of the series was called Better. Y'all remember those who were here when we, we did the Better series? We talked about how Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the old bulls and goats that were sacrificed. Jesus is better. He's better than this tradition. He's better than that tradition. He's the name that's above every other name. He's the one that it's all about. And this book of Hebrews is so vital because what this book of Hebrews does, it's written to Jews who were in the first century and they were Jews who had converted to Christianity. And they were coming under some serious persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews takes this opportunity to write to them and to tell them, hey, when you chose Christ, you made the right decision. Why? Because he's better than the feasts of tabernacles. He's better than the the temple and the tabernacle. He's better than the brazen altar. He's better than this sacrifice. He's better than that sacrifice. He's better than the Ark of the Covenant. He is the real Ark of the Covenant, you know. 
So that's what this whole book is about, is aiming people's attention at Jesus. And watch what it says in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Gracie came and told me beforehand that they had a blast praying downstairs. She said, go and be free. I said, I'm going to be free. (laughs) It's free time this morning. I might do, who knows what's going to happen. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would be needed for the second. Because finding fault with them, he, that's God, says, watch what God says in verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them from the hand of, and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make. Are you ready? This is the covenant. This is the new covenant, y'all. Here it comes. I will put my laws in their mind, and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of him his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will be merciful merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Why is that so significant? Do you remember the first covenant? There's, well, let me say this real quick before I get into that. There's actually lots of covenants in the Old Testament. You can follow a bunch of them. God made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Isaac. He made a covenant with Jacob. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant with Joshua. He made, God made covenants all over the place. But the one that he's referring to is the law, the Old Testament law, given to Moses and to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. What did God give them when Moses was on the mountain? Do you remember? He gave them his law written on tablets. We call them the Ten Commandments, right? God showed up on Mount Sinai in this big cloud of smoke, and it was, it was thunder and lightning, and Moses was, you know, spent 40 days in the presence of God, and he came down from the mountain and was so radically transformed that they couldn't even look at him because the glory of God radiated from his face. You spend 40 days with God and see what happens. Amen. And he came down with God's law written on tablets. It was good but it was imperfect. Because how many of you know, how many of you have experienced in your own life, you can have the law of God on tablets, but if it's not on your heart, doesn't matter. Amen. What makes the new covenant so spectacular is that God promises by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, and by the blood of Jesus, he promises to write his law right on my heart. If you go read in Jeremiah and if you read in Ezekiel, he says, I'll take out the old heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh. Remember we talked about this several weeks ago? When you got saved, you got a new heart. You became a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. God took that heart of stone out and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. You're new from the inside out. And now... The laws of God came pre-written, pre-packaged on that new heart of yours. That's why it hurts to sin. That's why it hurts to do wrong. Because every time I do wrong, every time I sin, every time I act out of love, not in love with God, every time I step out of this new creation that's been put inside of me, I'm fighting my own inward man. I'm fighting my own heart. And there's conflict and there's tension. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You feel icky when you sin, right? Why did we need a new covenant? We just said because the old covenant was flawed. We just read about it in this, in this passage. The old covenant was flawed in that it could not make humanity new. It had no ability to recreate the human heart. The best that the law could do was to temporarily cover our sin and our shame. 
Now there's, oh man, oh gosh, we could take six months and just talk about that statement right there. There's so much in that, but the reality is the law can never get you righteous. Even if you were to, listen, even if you were to do the law of God perfectly, even if you were to go from the day you were born to the day you die and perfectly execute the Ten Commandments and perfectly execute all the dietary laws, all the ritualistic laws, all the the feasts and the holidays, if you could take all 600 and some laws that were given to the nation of Israel and live them perfectly, you still wouldn't be righteous. Why? Because you're born with that old nature that came from Adam. So we needed a Jesus. We needed a Savior. We needed a new covenant that could be more perfectly executed in our favor. Romans 8 says that the old covenant was weak through the flesh. Meaning that the covenant was imperfect. Why? Because we are imperfect. How many of you are perfect in here? Praise God. Amen. I would love to be perfect. And, and, and on the inside, I am, but I still got this flesh, you know, and this mind that needs to be renewed. But the point is that the old covenant was imperfect because human beings were imperfect. Here's the reality. The strength of any covenant is only as strong as the two parties making the covenant. Right? I mean, a covenant's a solemn agreement. We're going to look at and give a definition to that in just a second. But the, but the strength of any covenant is only as strong as the two people who are making the covenant. And what you have in the Old Testament is this massive disparity. Every time God makes a covenant with somebody, he's really strong, they're really weak. That's why the Old Covenant was imperfect. It's because God made a covenant with Abraham. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the sands of the seashore. Abraham, look up at the stars. So shall your descendants be. And Abraham says, great, awesome. Let me go get some girl knocked up and see if we can't get this thing started. Sarah, give me your mistress. Give me your handmaiden. And I'm going to go and get, and you know, we're going to take care of business and get this show on the road. Huge disparity. God makes, makes a beautiful covenant with Abraham. Literally the very next chapter after the covenant is over, Abraham goes and finds Hagar. There's this huge flaw in the system. God's making an agreement with a weaker party who will never be able to live up to their side of the deal. And it was the same thing for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. He gave them their law, put it, he gave them his law, put it on 10 commandments, 10 uh, tablets of stone. And the first thing that happens is Moses on the way down. What are they doing? They're worshiping another God. I mean, he hasn't even, the ink's not even dry. The stones are still hot. You understand? Like he's coming down the mountain. Check it out, y'all. Look what I got from God. And there they are bound down to some crazy idol they built. The old covenant has a problem because we had a problem. Only a better covenant with a better sacrifice could make humanity new. Only a better covenant with a better sacrifice could make humanity new. Amen? Y'all tracking with me so far? I tell you, this is gonna get real good in a minute, okay? So let me ask you the question, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? The theologian Malcolm Smith defines the covenant as follows. Matter of fact, before I say it, if you, if you haven't ever read it, there's a book called The Power of the Blood Covenant by Malcolm Smith. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I had to read it in Bible school. And Malcolm is a genius. Go, go get that book yesterday, okay? Malcolm Smith defines a covenant as this. A covenant is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based on unconditional love sealed by blood and sacred oath that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific undertakings on each other's behalf. Wow. I'm going to read it for you again, and it's a long one, so I don't want you to try to write it down. Just listen, and I can, I'm happy to share my notes with you later. 
A covenant is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based on unconditional love, sealed by blood and sacred oath, that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific undertakings on each other's behalf. One of the simplest ways that I know to describe the all-in nature of a covenant, because here's the deal, you don't do a covenant halfway. It's, you can't. If it's halfway, it's not a covenant. I mean, how, how wet do you get when you jump in a pool? Right? Like you just go all like it don't matter what your hair looks like before you go in because you once you're in you're in. You go all in. You, th- th- this is not a covenant right here. This, you know, let me test the water. You don't test the water of a covenant. You go all in. It's all it's 100% in or none at all. It's like John Legend said, man, all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. All your perfect anyways. We're not going to go there. Take me back to the couple spotlight skate in high school, you know, (laughs) at the skating rink. My kids don't know nothing about that. Come on. Fellas, grab your girl and take her to the middle of the rink. It's the couple spotlight skate. (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to leave that alone. It's an all-in thing. You can't have a, part, a partial covenant. The following phrase is what I use, and, and this is what I keep in my mind when I'm thinking about what a covenant actually is, okay? It's this. Everything that I am and everything that I have is yours. And everything that you are and everything that you have is mine. It's a complete, 100% all-in proposition, We have a great biblical example of this. There's a lot of them, but the one that comes to my mind is when David and Jonathan made a covenant. Do y'all remember that? David has just killed Goliath. He got on Saul's radar. Saul is the king of Israel. Saul has a son named Jonathan. David is on Saul's radar. And David and Jonathan become best of friends. They're about the same age. And they cut this covenant. They become blood brothers. They cut a a mark in their skin and they mix blood and they say, we're forever tied together, you and me. Doesn't matter what happens to you. Doesn't matter what happens to me. Me and all my descendants are going to be in covenant with you and all your descendants. And they cut covenant. Their friendship and their covenant, or excuse me, their friendship is short-lived but their covenant goes on for a long time. The reason is Jonathan dies in battle not too long after that. Jonathan and Saul get killed fighting the Philistines or the Amalekites, one of the ites. (laughs) Many, many years after Jonathan is dead, David discovers that he had a son that nobody knew about, a crippled son named Mephibosheth. And David seeks out Mephibosheth. When he finds out that Mephibosheth is alive and this dude is troubled, he's living in the bad side of town, lives in a place called Lodabar. That's out there by Todd. (laughs) Amen. That's over by the New River. Come on. No, he lives in this place, and, 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 and David rushes to him. He sends servants to go collect Mephibosheth, and he brings him back to the palace. Mephibosheth thinks he's about to get killed. Because he thinks David is trying to wipe out any trace of Saul and Jonathan. He says, oh, he's got this, you know, I'm Saul's grandson. He knows who I am. He's going to kill me. And the opposite happens. He gets to the palace and he says, come here, Mephibosheth. You're going to sit at my table. You're going to eat with me for the rest of your life. Why? Because I'm honoring the covenant that I made with your father before you were born. It's an all-in proposition. We don't have a very strong understanding of covenants in our culture and in Western cultures in general. As a matter of fact, I believe that culture, from a Western perspective, tries to minimize covenant because of how important it actually is. Cultures that have more ancient roots have a better understanding of covenants and only 
excuse me, one of the only covenants that we actually understand is marriage, right? Our society is hell-bent on cheapening the idea of covenants. Nobody cares whether their words have any weight anymore. They just say whatever they want, whenever they want, however they feel, and doesn't matter if I actually have to live up to the things that I've said or not. I said them, and you know, I'm entitled to me, and you know, forget you. So we replaced covenants. We replace them with a thing called contracts. Selah. We replace a covenant with a contract. Let me tell you what a covenant is not. It's not a contract. In fact, not only are covenants and contracts not the same thing, they're actually polar opposites. A covenant is built on complete trust and absolute vulnerability. A contract is based on a complete lack of trust and harbors secrecy. We're about to engage in some agreement. I don't trust you, so I need you to sign on this dotted line here. <laughs> it's totally the opposite of a covenant, a contract. How many of you ever bought something and you had to sign a contract and the contract says exactly what you're going to do and it says exactly what's going to happen if you don't do what you do? It's not a trust document. It's the opposite. It's a I don't trust you at all document. I need you to sign this so that if you don't live up to your end, we're going to court. It's the total opposite. A covenant, listen to this. A covenant brings two parties together, making them one. A contract draws very distinct lines, keeping the two parties separate. A covenant is built on promises. A contract is built on performance. A covenant is who we are. A contract is what we do. You don't have a contract with God. You have a covenant with him. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't call you his friend because of what you can do for him. Come on, somebody. He didn't call you his son or his daughter because of what you bring to the table. The Bible says my righteousness without Christ is filthy rags. I come to this table bankrupt. Come on. I didn't bring nothing to this. I didn't create myself. I'm not even responsible for my own creation. Somebody created me. I have no rights outside of him. This ain't a contract. This is a love covenant. This is a, everything I have belongs to you. Everything you have belongs to me for no other reason than I want intimacy and love from you. That's it. Stop trying to work for something. Stop trying to work for God's favor. Good Lord, stop trying to work your butt off to try to be perfect. That's not what it's about. We don't bring anything to the table. Glory to God. It's not a contract. It's a love covenant. Ooh, Glory. I want to give you eight things in the last little bit of time that we have. I want to give you eight things that make up a biblical covenant. Tim put them on a slide for us. Thank you, Tim. And I want to go down through these line by line, and we'll close with this concept. Are you doing okay this morning? Are you glad? Listen, what are we talking about? What's the series that we've been in? What's it called? Made New. You're made new. You're a new creation. Your whole life is spelled out completely differently than it was when you were the slave of sin. Now you're in a new creation, or excuse me, you are a new creation, and you're in a brand new covenant. And every biblical covenant has these eight things. Number one, a representative. A representative. An oath. I'm going to tell you what each of these are in just a second. A promise. I mean, if you're glad that this covenant came with some promises. A sacrifice. A seal. Not the animal. I was typing this up, picturing a beach ball on a seal's nose. Ur, 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 you know? <laughs> Number six. A covenant meal. Because every good relationship's got some food involved. Amen? Come on, somebody. Number seven, a covenant friendship. Number eight, a memorial. Let's talk about each one of these for a minute. 
A representative is key to a covenant. The representative is the person whose actions and promises become the action and promises of the whole family, the whole clan, the whole tribe, the whole nation. The whole group of people is represented in this representative. Another example, or we'll use the example of Jonathan and Mephibosheth. Who did did David make the covenant with? Jonathan. Who got to be the beneficiary of the covenant? Mephibosheth. Jonathan was the representative. The two who make the covenant, they're representing somebody else. Abraham is another great example of this. Right? God cuts a covenant with Abraham, and what does he tell him? What is the, what is the promise of the covenant with Abraham? All your descendants are going to be blessed. You see, this is the difference. Let me share something with you. This is the difference between an Eastern and a Western mindset. A Western mindset is compartmentalized, right? An Eastern mindset is holistic. If I was to take an acorn and hand it to somebody from, you know, our country, what do do I hand you? I'm handing you an acorn. What do you have? You look at it, you say, this is an acorn from an oak tree. If I handed that same acorn to a Jewish person or to an Arab or to someone from the Near Eastern world, they would look at it and they would tell me that they had a forest of oak trees. Because the East and West mindset thinks very differently. We think compartmentalized. They think holistically. So when God cuts a covenant with Abraham, he's not just talking to Abraham. He's talking to everybody that's going to come from Abraham. His entire lineage yet unborn. David and Goliath is another phenomenal example of this. David goes to the battle. He goes to see the battle. And what does he find? He finds Goliath out there taunting him, taunting the nation. And what is, what is Goliath's taunt? He says this. He says, this is my paraphrase. He says, send me out a man that we should fight together. And, the, and basically, the story is, whatever happens when these two people fight affects the entire nation. They're not going to have a war. They're just going to have two dudes duke it out. And the whole war is decided on what happens with those two guys. They're representatives. So when David kills Goliath, chops his head off, what does the nation of Israel do? These pansies that have been for 40 days scared to death of Goliath all of a sudden got some new kind of boldness because their representative has triumphed and now they get to share in the victory they had nothing to do with. Sound like a covenant? Sure does. The representative... It's the first part. The second part is the oath. This is the commitment of the covenant that both party, parties agree to. They swear their allegiance to the covenant by swearing by this oath. They swear by something greater than themselves. We used to do this all the time when we were kids. I swear on my grandmama. I'm going to knock you out next time I see you. Y'all did that kind of stuff, right? Or maybe just the boys. We always swear on all kinds of things greater than ourselves. That's what makes the covenant ratified. That's what makes it powerful. Number three is the promise. This is the promise that both parties are agreeing to. If the oath is the agreement, the promise or promises are the things that they're agreeing to. Does that make sense? You see the difference between the two? Number four is the sacrifice. This is the necessary shedding of blood that makes every covenant valid. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission of sins. Because the blood represents life. And because Adam sinned, Life, need, life as God designed it was violated when Adam sinned. And so now we need to have a sacrifice. Are you all still with me? You doing okay? Let me describe to you real quickly how the sacrifice worked. When, when somebody, when two parties in the ancient world would make a covenant, 
They would take an animal or multiple animals and they would cut them vertically from head to toe. And they would lay the two halves of that animal down in such a way that the blood from that animal pooled up in the middle in between the two halves. And then both parties that were making this covenant would walk through the blood together signifying that they were entering into covenant with one another. When that was done, they would cut them their own skin, their own arm or hand, and they would mash their blood together and mix their blood in the blood of the sacrifice, and all the blood got mixed together. I know it's gruesome. Sound like a Brazilian steakhouse, right? And this is how you made a covenant. Something had to die, blood had to be shed, and your blood got involved. Brings us to our third part, the seal. This is the mark, this is the scar that was left that showed that you were in covenant. The sixth is a covenant meal. This represents the fellowship that is forever enjoyed because the covenant exists. What did David say? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, I will not be afraid even though I'm surrounded by adversaries because I'm sitting at your table in covenant with you. You know what's beautiful about the table? The table's where you settle disputes. The table's, whenever there's a problem, what do we do? We come to the table and we sit and talk it out. God says, come, let us reason together. He invites us to press up, up to his table and have some intimate conversation. Number seven is covenant friendship. Everybody now knows that we're blood brothers, which is even stronger than natural family. It's true. See, we don't, we don't think about these things because we don't do blood brothers in the West. But in Eastern cultures, they do. The Arabs have a saying. You've probably heard it before. Blood is thicker than milk. You know what that means? It means somebody that you're in blood covenant with, you're actually tighter with them than the one whose mother's milk you shared. You may have a brother, and y'all came up in the same family, but now you're blood brothers with Johnny down the street, and that relationship's actually thicker and more tight than the, than the brother you grew up with. Amazing. Finally, there's a memorial. It's a physical reminder of the covenant. They would often build a small altar or a pile of stones so that in future generations, everybody who saw that pile knew this was the place where the covenant was made. Now, do you want the, are you ready for the big shabam? You ready for the big reveal? Jesus is all eight of these things. Jesus is in every one of these. The covenant that was created between God and humanity was created between God and, the, and Jesus. The Father and the Son came together, and they came as representatives. When we say, I'm in Christ, what am I saying? I'm in him. He is my representative. I am in a covenant I had nothing to do with. But I'm receiving from the benefits of that covenant because I'm trusting in the representative. The oath. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, if we went there for time, we're not going to go there, but if we went there, you would see that God says that when he made a covenant with Abraham, he couldn't swear by anybody greater, so he just swore by himself. He made an oath in his own name. He swore allegiance to himself. How do I know that the covenant will never fail me? It's because God swore an oath by himself. He swore an oath by himself. The promise. Has God made you any promises in this new covenant? Yeah, only a book full of them. Come on. Only a book full of promises have you been given. 
All the promises, 1 Corinthians says, all the promises of God are in Christ. Yes and amen. That means yes and so be it. Glory to God. Was there a sacrifice in this new covenant? Sure was. We said it last week. Jesus is what? The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He came to earth as the representative. He came to earth as the oath. He came to earth as the promise. He came to earth as the sacrifice. Let me ask you a question just to prove that the Bible doesn't waste words. How, how did they cut the animal from top to bottom? How was the veil in the temple torn the moment that Jesus died? From top to bottom. The Bible doesn't waste words. Is there a seal in this new covenant? You better believe it. It's called the Holy Ghost of promise. The Bible says that the Spirit of God, when he comes into our life, he is the guarantee. He is the seal. He is the down payment. He is the proof that something happened on the inside of me. He is the proof that the covenant is working in me. Glory to God. Is there a covenant meal? I don't know. Do you fellowship with Jesus? Do you find room at his table for you? Absolutely. Do we take communion? What is that? It's the new covenant. It's me being at the table with Jesus. I do it in remembrance of him. Glory to God. Is there covenant friendship? Does everybody know that you and Jesus are blood brothers? Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. There's a friend that sticks closer than any brother. Is there a memorial? Is there a physical reminder? Yeah. We're going to celebrate it next weekend. The tomb empty. The cross empty. I never liked, you know, I grew up in Catholicism and I love Catholics and I love, you know, that I'm not trying to be mean about Catholicism, but I never liked the fact that when you go into a Catholic church, Jesus is still hanging on the cross, you know, and I praise God, I have most of my family is Catholic and they're wonderful people. But when you, you know, when you looked at my grandmother, when she had, I wear a cross around my neck and my grandmother did too, and, and hers had Jesus on the cross, but I'm here to tell you, he ain't on the cross no more. Come on, he's, he's not in the tomb anymore. There's a physical memorial. There's a, there's a representation. You can go there in Israel right now and look at the tomb, and above it, somebody etched in the stone, he's not here anymore, for he is risen. Jesus is the completion, the totality of everything that the covenant represents. Why is the new covenant so perfect? Why is it so significant? It's because the covenant, the new covenant, is not between us and God. I want you to hear that. We've been talking all morning about a covenant made by two parties. This covenant, this new covenant that we're in, it's not between you and God. between the Father and the Son. God decided to create a covenant with the human race. In order to do that, he had to become a human. So Jesus came, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Father and the Son decided before the world was created that they were going to create this new perfect covenant between themselves and because Jesus is our representation, because he's our representative, we get access to their agreement. Do you know why this is so spectacular? Because your sin, my sin, can't screw it up. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Our sin can't screw up the covenant. Can't do it. 
If the covenant was made between me and God, and God said, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine, I'd screw it up 10 minutes after we left the table, right? I mean, Abraham did. Why is this covenant so perfect? It's because it's between the Father and the Son. It's one of the most profound revelations that you and I will ever get. It's one of the most deep and powerful, impactful things. If you take that very concept and spend every morning this week just thinking about the fact, just meditating in the fact that the covenant that was created was between the Father and the Son, it'll change the way you see God. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you read the Word. It'll change the way that you walk in love with your neighbor. It'll change everything. I'm not here by my performance. I'm not here to try to get something from God. He already gave everything he had in this covenant, and I get to access it by faith in his son. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's not based on our works. It's based on his perfect sacrifice. He's the representative. He's the sacrifice. He's the oath. He's the promise. He's the memorial. He's the table. He's the friendship. He's all of it. Amen. It's interesting. Y'all okay? We doing all right? I'm about to close. You see, Frankie's playing. I'm about to close. This is how you know I'm about to be done when the music comes on, right? When you go look, you can go read this later if you like. Genesis chapter 15. God is cutting this covenant with Abraham. And this covenant's so significant that that God requires five animals. He says, get me a three-year-old heifer. That's a cow. Get me a three-year-old goat, female goat. Get me a three-year-old ram. Get me a pigeon and a turtle dove. And somehow, Abraham gets all five of those animals into one place at a time and cuts them, you know, top to bottom. I don't know how the heck he did that. I can't get my three intelligent children into the van at the same time. I don't know. I don't know how in the world Abraham got five animals in one place at the same time, but he did it. And the Bible says, this is what's amazing. God asks Abraham to cut the animals vertically and lay them all out in a line, and all their blood runs together, just the same thing I was telling you about before. And then something really interesting happens. Some vultures show up. The Bible just kind of doesn't make a big deal of this, but says vultures show up and Abraham goes to shoo them away. How many of you know the scavenger, the enemy, will always try to come and get involved in your understanding of the covenant to try to screw something up? Abraham shoos them away and then the Bible says he falls asleep. Super weird. It's like towards the end of the day, he shoos the vultures away And then he's like, oh, glad I shooed them away. Dang, I'm tired. Falls asleep. Darkness comes. It's nighttime. When he wakes up, he looks at the bodies. And in the middle of the bodies, he sees two things. He sees a smoking oven and a torch moving back and forth in between these bodies and the blood. He sees, represent, those two things are representations of the presence of God. Basically, God had Abraham get everything ready for him and then set Abraham to the side. Says, I don't need you for this part. And he cut the covenant himself. The Bible is, again, the Bible doesn't waste words. The Bible says that the new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus is a fulfillment of the covenant that God started with Abraham. So when God started that covenant with Abraham, he said, Abe, I don't need you for this part. And he set him off to the side. And the father and the son made a covenant together. Theologians call this a theophany. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, 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 an Old Testament picture of God the Father and God the Son. The torch and the oven, the fire and the sacrifice moving together in covenant, and Abraham got to watch it. Don't need you for this part, Abe. Covenant's not between you and God. 
It's between the Father and the Son. How do we access it? How do we submit to it? How do we get in on it? By faith. That when the, when the enemy comes to tell you you're nothing more than a dirty sinner, you just tell him, too late! I'm made new. I'm in covenant. I was sitting next to Abraham watching the whole thing play out. And I get in because I put my faith in Jesus. It's not about my works. It's not about how good or bad or indifferent I've been. It's not about my lack of perfection. It's all about his complete perfection and the fact that I'm in him. When we talk about being made new, what in the world are we talking about? We're talking about you having a place in this new covenant for eternity. It can't be taken away from you. Glory to God. All you got to do is trust. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. All you do is submit to it by saying, yeah, Lord, I believe that. And then the enemy comes, like we said last week, the enemy comes with conviction, or excuse me, with condemnation, tell you, oh, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you sinned, you kicked the cat, you yelled at your wife, you get, you know, whatever. You just say, yeah, but I'm in covenant. I'm untouchable. I'm in him. He's in me. I've been made new. His blood was shed on my behalf. And now I'm forever linked to Jesus, the righteous one. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.